All right, folks, before we get to the main thing, I want to let you know that this episode of Oil & Gas Upstream is made possible by our good friends at Technip FMC. Now, you probably know them for their subsea business, but did you know that Technip FMC is doing fantastic things for the industry at the surface? The latest innovation is called Emission. And Emission will let you monitor and control vapor pressure in real time. To learn more, visit technipfmc.com. Oil and gas production is the union of natural systems with advanced science and complex engineering. Smart people across the globe create this remarkable place we call Upstream, and each day brings a new challenge. This is the Oil and Gas Upstream podcast, where we look at how these systems come together and learn from the people who make it happen. Welcome to Oil and Gas Upstream. I'm Elena Milkert, your host. Some of you know me as the former director for oil and gas upstream research at the U.S. Department of Energy. I retired from DOE and founded a small consultancy and became a podcast host. Before I introduce our guest, I want to thank Technip FMC for sponsoring this podcast. And I want to ask you to do me a big favor by answering a one-question survey. It takes about 10 seconds, and the link is in the show notes. In return, I will happily send you some stickers for your laptop or your hard hat or your kids. Also, I want to remind you about a new podcast we've launched, Oil and Gas Geopolitics with Jordan Driscoll. Here's a link in the show notes below. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, Mark Stansberry, author, advisor, podcast host, and movie producer. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Elena. This is an honor. Thank you so much. Oh, I tell you, it is an honor for us. Your background is so extensive. I'm just going to read a little bit here. Uh, Mark Stansberry has been involved in the energy industry for over 45 years. Currently, he hosts two energy podcasts and co-hosts a higher education podcast. He's been a contributing editor for an energy magazine for nine years. He's written six energy-related books. He founded the International Energy Policy Conference in 1992. He has testified before the U.S. Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee. Mark was inducted into 2022 Oklahoma Movie Hall of Fame. He's been inducted into the Western Oklahoma Hall of Fame and the Elk City Leadership Hall of Fame and inducted into the Order of the Clock Tower, UCO's highest honor. Mark is an award-winning film producer, music producer, and singer-songwriter and author. He has served on a public and private corporate boards. He's been appointed by three governors to serve on University Board of Regents, an all-state stage band guitarist. He attended college with music and leadership scholarships. Mark is a graduate of Oklahoma Christian University. He's a graduate of the Institute of Political and Economic Systems, Georgetown University, and completed Director's College, Stanford University. Mark and Nancy, his wife, reside in Edmond, Oklahoma. Mark, wow, what a background. That's even better than I thought when I first read, now that I read it more carefully and more slowly. Wow, thank you so much. I know you started your career probably when you were 10 years old, right? I mean, that's quite a few accomplishments. <laughs> well, that's so kind, but uh, I think you read my mother's version, version of the uh, of the. Uh, of the bio, but thank you anyway. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, so Mark, um, tell us about your, specifically your oil career, uh, oil and gas career, 
and you know your right. connection with upstream. I know it's all upstream, but tell us specifically where where you where where you fall and with respect to your advising and your point of view. Well, it all began, Elena, really back when I was 13 years old. Uh, there was a well drilled in western Oklahoma. I'm from Elk City, Oklahoma. It was a deep gas well, about a mile uh, from the house that I lived in when we got married late, uh, you know, back in 1977, but, but in 1969, there was this, uh, well drilled called the green well and went to around 23, 24,000 feet. So very deep gas well, Robert Hefner, the third, was a pioneer of the deep natural gas. And so I took an interest, but didn't really know what was going on. I wound up handing out decals, uh, that, uh, said natural gas capital of the world, which was Elk City. And so I'd go around town making sure those decals were put in all the legal places we could at least and, and uh, hand those out to support the town. So uh, move a few years later from 1969 to around 1975, I showed an interest in uh, a gentleman who was a mentor of mine. His name was Cooper West. And Cooper uh, was very kind to me. He was in the oil and gas industry and, and real estate and insurance and so forth. But so true mentor. And he... Uh, I told him, I said, I'm very interested in going to Washington, D.C. and become an intern. I'd heard about it, read about it. And so it wound up that he recommended me uh, to U.S. Senator Dewey F. Bartlett. And so uh, Dewey, uh, Senator Bartlett, called me, and uh, I accepted to be an intern in the summer of 1975. And so it was a, a big experience for me to do that. Well, part of the assignments had different, you know, I had to do research, start off with just opening letters and doing the those kind of thing, file, filing and, you know, you name it. But really came down to research over a period of time over the summer. And I, one of the research projects was on natural gas. But also one of the major projects that I did was helping write a speech. And I say help writing a speech. I think I got more red marks written all over the pages because there were four of us assigned to help uh, Senator Bartlett write a speech for OPEC. And that was going to be in Oslo, Norway, 1975. And I didn't know much about OPEC. I didn't know much about natural gas, oil, so forth. Just knew that uh, it was necessary and needed. And so that all began uh, my interest, though, in oil and gas. Between I was 13 years old, which my parents were not involved in the oil and gas industry. So from age 13, then up to 19. And then it wound up, after I graduated from college, I really still was interested in, in the oil and gas sector, uh, so I, I reached out to Cooper, my, my mentor, and uh, told him about it. So he recommended me to go to El Paso, to El Paso Natural Gas Company, and become a, a landman, or land trainee, really, landman trainee. And he recommended me, because that's one of his major partners, was El Paso Natural Gas. And so it wound up that uh, I, I wound up about, that was around April, graduated from college, and I was going to get married in the in the fall. And at the last minute, uh, Cooper gave me a call and uh, said, you know, I think I want to keep you for myself. I'd like you to train you, send you to University of Texas at uh, Arlington, Texas. And there's a trainee program there and so forth for land and, and get involved as a landman. And so uh, I accepted that. It was great because it was in my hometown. He's from Elk City. It was uh, where it all began. My interest was in Elk City in the Antarctica Basin. And so move uh, from there, I uh, became a landman. Uh, after that, started a company called Moore Stansbury, M-O-O-R-E hyphen Stansbury, uh, incorporated uh, for about eight and a half, nine years or so. Uh, we were active in the land management side in the Antarctica Basin, the deep gas wells. So over about 200 sections we were active in throughout the Antarctica Basin. 
And it wound up that uh, I, during that time I testified, my first time was before I reached age 30, I was testifying for U.S. Senate. Uh, was very involved in uh, the uh, political and uh, activities like that, uh, not in Oklahoma, but on a, a national scale over a period of time. To think that I was, I was pushing a broom and mopping floors about age 13 and then uh, doing things like that by the time I'm not even quite 30 was really uh, uh, wonderful. It was a wonderful experience, but it was all goes back to the fact doors would open and mentors would, like Cooper, he wasn't the only mentor, but there's others that came forward and introduced me to uh, their their world and what what's involved in business and so forth. And there, during that time, I all became a senior vice president of a bank, still being president of a little oil company, and uh, got involved in real estate development, a fitness center, and a housing development, and so forth. Again, before I was age 30, which again, to think coming from uh, modest beginnings, it was such a wonderful thing that people encouraged me along the way. And so then I got involved from there into international work, did work in uh, different countries uh, in, in my mid-30s, uh, went to Russia and China, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, and other countries. So got involved in the international front. And uh, upstream is a big emphasis, and I know that's uh, your show. And by the way, I want to say before I forget how great an uh, interview that you uh, had on, on my podcast, which we can talk about further later on. But I, I really was encouraged by that because you told the history of, of similar things that I lived through uh, and lived through in a different way. You, you were living it on the East Coast in D.C. and California and other places. And I was living it on the, uh, on the uh, surface, <laughs> truly the surface of, of Heracle Basin. But our, our company, we did work in uh, I was also president of the Oklahoma Royalty Company. We did work in about 20 states and Canada and some other countries as well. So that's a quick rundown. I, I, I have uh, I got to take a breath now. But that, <laughs> that gets, gets me to where we are today, uh, to, up, up to the energy advisory work and corporate work that I was on boards of, of energy companies, both private and public, and enjoyed that. And I was a CEO, C-suite. So uh, again, from, uh, from early beginnings to... To a quick rundown, so I could get more in depth, but I think I'll stop right oh, there. Oh, Mark, thank you. And your show was so much fun to do. You gave me a microphone, you said talk, and I did. Yes, <laughs> I took advantage yes. Of- it was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful. I, um, I wish we could keep on going. Um, Just one of those deals where you could have part two, three, four, and keep going. Well, and, and a lot to share uh, between <clears throat> us. You're right, having lived, both of us lived through it. Um, comparable point of view, but but wow, what what differences and what uh, richness of our exactly. experiences. So we'll have to do that. Maybe we'll invite a lot of people and we'll have this like forum. We'll just talk and and and. I love conversations with Elena and Mark. How's <laughs> That's that? Right. That's a good show. That's a good show. <laughs> okay, but this is about you. So let's go back to you. So okay, so we okay. went through. Um, we talked about as an advisor where you got your insights about uh, oil and gas and. Boy, that's that's a 360 point of view. You mentioned that um, you were well. First of all, that the senator, the speech you helped write, that he was presenting it to OPEC. What what was his message back then? What do you remember? What he was, what you wanted him to say uh, in terms of like what year was that? 1975. And ah. so he was he was really interested in uh, development of relationships because of the embargo. Was seventy three seventy four, so it was more of a of a tone of how can we cooperate so that we're not in a position of uh, of having to be leveraged. He didn't say it that way, but really being leveraged by other countries, and uh, we see today similar situations right. uh, where we 
gotten away from that. At, at one point, now we're right back to where we're uh, we're having to to. I'm sure that I need to go find the the speech again because I'm sure it would be very very practical now. Yeah, yeah. And then you said as part of your um, international experience, you worked in Russia and China and other countries. So, you know, Russia and China mm-hmm. are still part of the headlines that we're, we're we're looking at today. What 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 would you say about Russia and China, if you don't mind my asking you, uh, mm-hmm. in the current context? Well, in the current context, I really do go back to what happened in 92, 94, when I went to Russia in 92, and then to China in 1994, because it gives a, a different uh, a view, is that the market free market system was being uh, accepted by the Russian people, you know, in 92. It was a year after the coup. And so uh, there was a lot of activity. Uh, there was a lot of opportunities, offers to come over and develop. Uh, there was 35,000 idle wells in, in Russia. And uh, so I was invited with a delegation to go uh, visit uh, different fields in Dakistan, Mahachkala, and some other regions by the Caspian Sea and trying to develop through the Minister of Energy. We actually met with the Minister of Energy. And, and then uh, in 1993, got to meet again <clears throat> with uh, Yuri Shafronik, uh, who was the Minister of Energy for Russia in, in Washington, D.C., after being in, in Russia in 1992 at the embassy there. Uh, then in 19, 1994, uh, they, I found that the Chinese were uh, looking for opportunities as well and uh, in the natural gas side of it as much as anything, but also in the, uh, in the oil and, and uh, fossil fuels. So it was a very eye-opening, but I, th- I thought things were going to be great in that regard. About late 1990s, about 1999, which is interesting because that's about the year that Putin came into some power. And uh, we, we wound up pulling away from being active. It became very uncomfortable and easy to be working over there. So in Russia and both China, we started pulling uh, back on our, on our opportunities. We actually had, with one company, an import-export uh, trade agreement that had been signed in 1994 with China, and, uh, from 1994 to 1999, excuse me, five years. So 1999 was kind of the stopping point both in Russia and China, though I've, I stayed active uh, going to, ch- to China somewhat. Uh, Russia definitely was something I didn't feel comfortable with, and, uh, and so it proves out that I guess I was right in a sense that uh, there were some issues. The people really wanted to work in Bulgaria the same way, in Czech Republic, everywhere I go. Uh, I find that the people are really, it, it depends if the leadership changes. You know, Mexico was the same way when did some work in Mexico. Um, we, we, they started adopting uh, in Mexico the free trade way of doing things, and then all of a sudden, it shut down and went back to, you know, uh, not a free market. And so um, free market is a big deal, in my view, of how to develop uh, relationships. Uh, with, it, with it shut down, it's not as easy. Oh, yeah. There's, there's nothing like unleashing personal freedom, you know, having personal freedoms to explore your full potential. And things tend to line up for you when you start moving that way. And unless there's an environment that supports that personal freedom, you know, you, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to see where we will go or what will be That's possible. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it comes back to those personal freedoms where, where, which I'm grateful that we have here in the United States. So, no so okay, so that was your early career. Okay, and, and you've written six books. Tell us about some of those books. Tell us what, you, what you've been up to there and what, what some of those messages are. 
Well, about 1991, I was involved in the acquisition, uh, mergers and acquisitions. So there was really no book on the land side, finance side that really combined uh, from the, you know, from the offer to the purchase and sell agreements to the conversion of the property. So I thought it'd be nice to have a book. There's a friend of mine that we co-wrote the book. He was uh, he was in, with uh, working as at uh, Arco, and uh, I was an independent. So together we were able to uh, have a really good, I think, dialogue to put in the form of a book, handbook. And it was acquisition process, uh, due diligence, minimize risk, maximize return. We went on the speaking uh, circuit and uh, wound up going across the U.S. and Bakersfield to to Houston, to Denver, and other locations. And talking about the book and how it could be uh, could be used, and uh, so that was uh, the acquisitions uh, that changed. You know what changed was in the upstream we were drilling uh, back in the 70s, very active drilling deep gas wells, uh, up to 4,000 some uh, wells being drilled. You know the 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 count, and then we wound up um, seeing that slow down, a boom to bust stage. So then the acquisition came into being. So I thought, what do I do? I, I really love the, the drilling and the, uh, the upstream side, but how can we maintain the upstream and, and stay active? So we wound up, uh, I, I did some consulting for like uh, FDIC and uh, different oil and gas companies that, uh, that I worked with on acquisitions and uh, Torch Energy, uh, Louis Dreyfus and other companies like that. And it was an advisor to them on those kind of things. And so it wound up that uh, that was a stage that uh, lasted in the 90s. And then uh, later on in 2007, I wrote a book, The Breaking Point. And it was on global economic realities and uh, economic impact, really. And so we t- I wrote that book. And then five years later, had a book out called American Needs, America's Energy, Creating Together the People's Energy Plan. I believe that all forms should be explored but that uh, oil and gas would be leading the way to the transition of the future. And so that came about, and then I've written uh, a, a monograph to that, a follow-up uh, to the particular book, American Needs, America's Energy, and it's American Needs, America's Energy, um, and it's Natural Resources, which goes uh, and it updates what I was talking about in 2012 to where we are today. So it's very current. And then I had two other books besides that, so six books along the way. Wow, wow. Okay, very busy. I was telling people earlier um, that I wrote a one chapter of a book, and it almost killed right. me. And so, you <laughs> so I have such respect for, for the work that's involved for first getting your ideas on paper, cleaning them up, and then sharing them with others. And then actually the red pen really comes out. And so that was, that was tough. But six uh, books is, I, I'm very, very impressed. I was impressed by that. Maybe I'll try another one, but I don't know. <laughs> Please do. I want to. Re- I'll buy it. I'll be one of the first to buy your book for sure. Oh my gosh! Right, that'd, that'd be yeah, great. Yeah. Okay, and so then, besides the books, then we've got um, movies. Tell us, tell us about your movie career. Well, it was interesting. About uh, it was. This was about uh, night. Uh, see, two thousand one was when it really began. But before that, I met a gentleman in nineteen ninety nine. His name's Gray Fredrickson. Well, he was moving back from Hollywood. He'd been there for around thirty years. And uh, moved back. He got married late in life, and he had two children. And his wife, uh, they, they wanted to move back and settle down in Oklahoma, where he originally was from. This gentleman, uh, Gray Fredrickson, had 
been a production manager on The Good, Bad, and Ugly, uh, Clint Eastwood film, as many of you know, uh, all the way to winning the Oscar for Godfather II for working with Francis Ford Coppola. He was part of the production of all three Godfather movies, Apocalypse Now, nominated. But I met him at a, at a, uh, at a chamber meeting in Oklahoma City and uh, was introduced by a friend. Uh, and so we visited and we became friends, Gray and I did. And so around 2001, uh, it wound up that uh, we, or I had the opportunity to work with him because he said, I need a partner, I need a business partner, I'm wanting to start a production company, and I think uh, you'd be very good to be that partner. And so I said, oh, let's, let's think it through. I've, I've never been in a movie business and don't really, you know, it's my sister's a trivia pursuit. She'll know all about it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be very helpful to you. But he said, no, you understand business and uh, could be helpful that way. So I, uh, he said, but we'll need a name of a company and we'll need all this. So I said, okay, well, I, I usually, Nancy, my wife, she's usually very supportive of whatever I decide on business. It's kind of like I've done my research and she'll say, okay, I support that. Or if you don't do it, she understands why I didn't. But I came to her, I said, um, and I was really going to her to get an out in a sense, because I was thinking maybe she can talk me out of this because I really don't know if I really want to do movies. And she said, uh, you need to listen to Gray because uh, Gray's a really nice man and, and just see what he has to say. So I kept visiting with him and I came in with a card one day, printed a card up and I said, how's this look? And it was Gray Mark Productions for Gray and Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Gray Fredrickson and Mark Stansley. Yeah. And he loved, he loved it. He said, this is great. And then I said, here's the deal. I will, I'll be your partner but I think one thing's important. I need to go to the Academy Awards and be your guest oh. <laughs> in 2002. And sure enough, oh, in, uh, in, in the spring of 2002, I was walking in the red carpet with cool. him and, and uh, as his guest. And uh, it was really eye-opening because I didn't know much about movies and didn't know much, you know, much about the actors as far as that goes. And there's stories I can tell on that at a different time. But the key is we formed the company, went on uh, to make uh, five films, Graymark produced five films and one documentary, and uh, leadership roles changed over that time frame. I stayed involved, but then I've stayed involved in other uh, films as well. The latest one is uh, Sherwood Forest Top Secret, which is an oil film in a sense. It's, it's really a historical film more than anything else, but it happens to relate to oil. In 1943. Well, well, uh, we let's let's set that up just a little bit because that's okay. very, very exciting. Okay, so yeah, and it's so we'll go from there. PBS, yeah, we'll start there. We'll, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, please go ahead. Yeah, PBS. I found it uh, on uh, PBS on. I just, I guess it was YouTube or or something wherever PBS is on. Uh, I found it on my phone, uh, and I started watching. I said, "Oh my God, I got it. We got to get this." So we went onto the computer. I said, "Chris, you got my husband, Chris." I said, "Chris, you got to watch." this with me uh and we started watching it oh my gosh it's such a first of all it's true it's historical it has right. the spirit of america and the spirit of the greatest generation i mean absolutely right. that that comes through it focuses on the um oil and gas sector and how critical it was to turning world war ii and kind of scary because had we not you know, had this not happened, I don't want to talk about it, I want you to talk about it. Had this not happened, uh, we may not have had the victory that, that we did ultimately. So this is very exciting. It's called Sherwood Forest Top Secret, right? And That's you can right. find That's it right. on PBS, and it's about an hour, and it's a rich, rich experience. In fact, to be honest, I've seen it twice. So <laughs> it's really wow, cool. That's so, really cool. So tell so us. So encouraging. Tell, Thank tell you. Us, tell everybody about well, it. 
well, you know, it, it's how Barry Corbin, I had Barry Corbin, who's the an actor who's produced, or excuse me, been in over 225 films. I produced one film that he was in years ago, 2007, as a consulting producer. It was called Trail End. He did a fantastic job. He comes back, uh, you know, 15 years later and does this as a narrator. And he's an unbelievable voice. He's been, like I say, from Urban Cowboy uh, <clears throat> all the way to uh, recently Yellowstone and uh, also uh, Tulsa. King and some Great other things. Great voice. Uh, Adds so much color to the narration. Oh my, no question. War Games. <clears throat> He's been involved with so many different, uh, you know, films throughout the years. Uh, the Northern Exposure. He got two Emmy nominations there, and uh, he mentioned one sentence, and he said, uh, "It's a story about historical." Uh, impact and it really uh, summarized by saying, and the men had to live in a monastery. <laughs> well, if that doesn't grab the hook right there, <laughs> right. I don't know what it is because these men, uh, oil men, uh, oil, oil men, oil patch water roughnecks, had to survive uh, work, working around and living around uh, the the monastery, and that was a challenge in itself. It's yeah, it's a great film, uh, one that should be looked at, and so I think you summarized it wonderfully well and and i hope people will go to it and see it because it's it's really more than anything it, it tells how when when there's a challenge of americans uh they step forward and they make it happen and, and that's the history of the past so i hope it's a history of the future well tell everybody why sure. it's sherwood forest forest and why it's <clears throat> top secret well it it was it was located the the oil uh production in sherwood forest england uh, was around 150 barrels of oil at the time during 1942-43 time frame, uh, up to 300 barrels of oil max, and they were having they the Britons were having trouble in uh, getting uh, enough oil to uh, really survive the war. So they uh, went around uh, and and tried to get uh, Americans involved. Finally, came one gentleman in particular came to the United States and wound up in Oklahoma and visiting with Lloyd Noble. Uh, and they wound up putting a crew together of roughnecks, and the roughnecks were shipped over to to uh, Sherwood Forest. And, and this is the uh, real Sherwood Forest that we all know and love, Nottingham, everything, uh, Robin Hood. The Robin Hood, Robin Hood Sherwood Forest, yes. And it wound up, they increased, they, the roughnecks, worked on developing enough production that went up to within about a year, less than a year, year and a half time frame, um, wound up. Uh, 3,000 barrels of oil per day, and uh, oil uh, was used in D-Day. Uh, at the uh, end of uh, D-Day, they gave a lot of credit to that. Top secret, it was because they had to go under camouflage and and had, to, in fact, they lost some equipment, as you saw in the film, uh, Couldn't didn't all arrive. Um, so it was an all-out war going on. They had to make sure that uh, they lived like in a monster to st- keep it secret, and it stayed secret for many years after the war. And uh, so it was a story that needed to be told, and I'm glad it was. Absolutely. Glad to be part of it. And yeah. the, the, um, as an upstream you know, person, uh, the, they drilled, they were asked to drill 100 wells in a year. They right. ended up drilling 106, and 94 mm-hmm. produce, were producing. So, I mean, that's right. a great, right. great success ratio, um, absolutely, at yes, a time. Uh, and they actually changed the way you drill wells in England, right? That was a turning no point for them. I want everybody to go Big see it. Point. Just You can find it on oh, wow. PBS. You can find it. <laughs> it's so wonderful. Well, the Oklahoma History Center is another important way to look at, uh, look for this because Oklahoma History Center has it where, you know, it's like schools, universities want, want to have it in their school system. And so they can stream it. 
and you can sign a form, and I, I don't have that uh, information in front of me, but it's it's available. We can put it in the show uh, notes. Also. You can tell me afterwards. That's, put in the show notes. I'll do and that. you're saying that, that people can use a link or something to find it more yes, directly? Use a link. Okay. You find it more directly, and that's important because a lot of schools, like say universities, uh, civic organizations, uh, will want to see this. And that's what we're hoping is this is not a, a film you go to the, even though we did have a premiere showing at a theater. This is more, uh, it's, it's no charge. We don't want it to be where people go out and pay for this film. The purpose of it was educational, and I think it, it, it met that. And uh, with Barry Corbin, we had about 58 cast and crew, uh, and it was just, it was wonderful to work with Greg Fredrickson. Greg Malott, as a director, did an outstanding job. Greg Malott, and, uh, and there were some others that I, there's too, too long a list. But I, uh, I would say that, again, Gray, as producer is unbelievable. Anything he touches, and then Greg Malott is, and I, I served as executive producer. But that, the titles of director and producer are are wonderful for those two men to, to work with. Those two men, uh, one Emmy winner and one uh, there was an Oscar and Emmy winner yeah. as well. So yeah. it's wonderful. well, it is sort of a documentary because it it tells. Oh, it is a documentary. It's a documentary, yeah. it's a documentary. but it's also I call it a docu film. I call it a docu film because it's but. Because it because it's really takes a, a movie and make and with a documentary theme as well, so you, you can go either way almost. It, uh, but but not speaking part so much as narration. And but it's the, such a story. Yeah. I mean, there's such a story. You just listen there. It's not. Um, it it's it's acted out. Uh, there's a lot of actual footage, right. but there's also the story part. I mean, it's very human, and it's a very 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 just delightful. Just so I was so proud. Uh, to watch it and to to understand that that part of the story because I had I had no I must idea. Add, I must add to this. There's 25 percent of the film, is my understanding, on the footage actually was actual footage in 1943 that we were able to get through the archives out of England. Wow. So that's a story in itself yeah. as well because we there was black and white, so we had to go through colorization to make it oh, pop. Okay. So so it was quite a chore for us. It took us quite a long time. Yeah. I'd had another film we did years ago called The Grand Energy Transition. Uh, a documentary, and uh, it was based upon uh, who I'd mentioned earlier, Robert Hefner III. He had a book called The Get, Grand Energy Transition, and Gray and I produced that film along with another individual, and it wound up that uh, that film uh, got support from Ted Turner, uh, Aubrey McClendon, and Boone Pickens, uh, as well as some others. So it was a wonderful film. And it was talking about oil and gas and transition along the way will look like hydrogen and so forth. So anyway, that's another film that, again, that was 2012. Ten years later, we did this film, uh, which, again, I, I agree with you. I hope they, everyone gets to see it because it, it really touches the heart. Absolutely. Really, really, really good. And now, not to short the podcast, but you've got several podcasts. I thought you only had the one that we, that we both share with the Oil and Gas Global Network, but you have... Um, extra podcast. So tell about your show with uh, OGGN and then the others. Yes. Well, I'm very proud of the OGGN relationship and especially I get to meet individuals like you, Elena, and and uh, and others because it's 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 a family already. I feel like I'm part of a yes. family with OGGN and we all kind of work together, support each other, help each yes. other. And so if you don't know much about OGGN, I hope you will as well. And go to the other shows. Don't... Uh, you know, besides uh, our two our two shows, there are many others that you can go to. Uh, about fifteen or so uh, shows. Uh, I've been involved with that now for around five months, and I love every minute of it. And, and uh, 
my last uh, you've been on there and you've wonderful interview by the way if you haven't uh, heard about Elena's background you need to <laughs> tune in to her show and to mine <laughs> on the, at least my episode about interviewing her because unbelievable what she's done in her in her life it's seven serving under seven presidents I go on and on I better, better thank stop thank you Mark that's very it, kind <laughs> but it's it's wonderful and then uh, I have a, another podcast uh, called the national called excuse me called national energy talk and national energy talk uh have a, it's a similar type of show except it's really more into especially this year i'm working on workforce development and relationships on talent and retention and recruitment so that's kind of a show that's more emphasizing that then i have another podcast uh, that's about three years uh, that we've been uh, that we've had and it's called uh, newscape hired advisors and that's based upon higher education the former president of the university of central oklahoma president uh, is uh, co-host along with myself. I was chairman of uh, called Regional University System of Oklahoma, and uh, and uh, life trustee of Oklahoma Christian University, and several other universities I've been involved with. And so uh, that's you know working together on from a presidential view as well as a board view uh, for our higher education. I did have one other podcast uh, back when called the Journey of Life, and that was more on personal relations uh, with people that had achieved a great deal in their in their is more of a biographical look at individuals and it's similar to what we're doing today wow that's great that's great so well we are almost at uh time mark um this i could talk with you forever about every any one Same of these here. things um but are there some uh things you want to share with our audience about you know upstream the future perhaps uh things they should they should know everybody should know about oil and gas and, and gen energy in general just some closing remarks well, we're going to need all forms of energy, and that's why the book uh, America Needs America's Energy and Its Natural Resources, and oil and gas is going to be a big leader in that for many years to come. And uh, I, I really hope that instead of demonizing the oil and gas industry or any other sector in the energy sectors, that we look at how we can work together and, uh, and look how we can build workforce. Discouraging young people right now, and all ages as far as it goes, to be involved in the energy sector, especially oil and gas is really not doing us a service because we're going to need help. Worldwide, there are 3.5 billion individuals that don't have the luxuries of, of uh, you know, refrigerators to, to uh, you, know, it, you know, reading at night, all these different things. And so uh, we need to give uh, some opportunities to others, too, and think about that. How do we fit others into the equation worldwide? How can we look at striving for energy efficiency and environmental preservation, which has been my theme for 30 years? We st I started an international energy policy conference, which you mentioned. That was the theme 30 years ago. And that's the theme that I'm continuing because if we strive for energy efficiency through the oil and gas sector and environmental preservation, which I think we've done a wonderful job, do we, can we do better? We're working on that every day. It's getting better. And so I hope that we can all find ways uh, – and I know now ESG is in the forefront, environmental social governance. That's something that we can embrace, as, and we could be the leaders instead of being told how it should be led. I think we need to step forward and say, here's what we can do to make sure those things are, are executed properly, but in a, in a time, time frame and uh, put in a plan that can be executed properly is something we need to do, not just be pushed uh, push to do something. It's, it's got to be something we strive for. So strive is a big word to me, is we strive for energy efficiency, environmental preservation, and uh, ESG and other things that can come to the forefront as well. 
Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. All of the above, use what you have, uh, maximize the, the value of what you have. And the U.S. has the strongest environmental protection uh, uh, guidelines, regulations, uh, laws uh, in the world. Um, we should be producing all of our energy here first and sharing with the world mm -hmm. uh, as we're doing now, thanks to uh, President Putin for his <laughs> ob for objectionable right. behavior. So, Mark, thank you. This has been so delightful talking with you. We'll definitely have to have you come back again. Mark Stansberry, oil and gas advisor, author, podcaster, and movie producer. Thanks so much, Mark, for being our guest today and for sharing all about your contributions to upstream oil and gas. Thanks, Elena, and thanks to everyone that's working in the industry. Much success ahead. Thank you, and thank everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please give us a review. Tell us what you like, what you'd like to hear more about on future podcasts. This is Elena Melker, your host for Oil & Gas Upstream. More next time. Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Upstream podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.